Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, conservative leadership candidates continue to attack each other over their responses to the shooting in Buffalo. In the minds of a lot of voters outside the conservative party, uh, you know, I don't know if they're all making that distinction about which part of the convoy you supported and maybe you didn't support the white nationalist part, but it was there and it was there for all to see. The Prime Minister reinforces Canada's support for Finland and Sweden joining NATO. The consequence of Russia's uh, mistaken choice, of Putin's mistaken choice to invade in, uh, Ukraine, uh, are very clear. Uh, countries realize that uh, Russia is uh, is not a reliable partner or neighbor, and therefore uh, Ukraine Ukraine is uh, is standing up against Russia, and Finland and Sweden are choosing uh, to join NATO. And calls for a royal apology over residential schools as the Prince of Wales visits Canada. It's clear that the, the monarchy played a role, and a significant role, in the mistreatment of Indigenous people. And just as people are asking the Pope to apologize for the role of the church, it is appropriate and, and I support the call for Indigenous communities to ask for the monarchy to also um, apologize and be responsible or, or be held to account for their responsibility in, what, in the horrific treatment of Indigenous people. It's Wednesday, May 18th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So the conservative leadership candidates have been going after each other over their responses to the shooting in, in Buffalo. Patrick Brown, in particular, has been critical of Pierre Poiliev for being slow and selective in his response. Um, there, there has been reaction from across the political spectrum in Canada to this this highly disturbing mass shooting in Buffalo. Uh, and so what do you think about how it's playing into the conservative leadership race? Well, you know, anything that has, uh, you know, the sort of radioactive fallout from the toxic state of U.S. politics is bound to have an effect here in Canada and mostly in the conservative party, because a lot of this sort of toxicity is emanating from Republicans and uh, people on the right side of the spectrum in the U.S. Um, you know, it, it, and when you have these mass shootings and incidents of violence like this, it does tend to make people retreat into their comfort zones. And, and we all, we'll all say, well, this is terrible and violence is always wrong. Um, but there, we all know at the same time that uh, among our neighbors and fellow citizens, there are people who uh, might actually agree with the sort of racist basis of, the, of, of what this guy was operating on when he killed 10 people in, in Buffalo on Sunday. So, um, you know, it, but it is a delicate thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of these extreme right-wingers, these violent, terroristic people, will use similar language to that is um, to that that's been adopted by other more moderate people on the right. So you have to walk a fine line. I mean, uh, politicians uh, in Canada have to denounce any type of uh, political violence. Citizens expect that from them. And um, they also have to denounce racism and uh, bigotry because uh, people expect that, too. Um, but in this weird netherworld of a conservative leadership race where you're only speaking to one slice of the electorate, 
uh, you have to, or they find themselves being more circumspect, perhaps, and it becomes a bit of a uh, a pressure game where one side, one candidate, or one candidate's campaign is saying to another that you have to be more of this way or more explicit in your denunciations. Uh, so uh, I take a lot of it as sort of political uh, toing and froing, Mark. But it does mask a very serious issue that is emerging in uh, in Canada, uh, in, in, to some degree, in reaction to what's happened in the states. Yeah, and I, I think what you said there is important about the denunciations because I, I think sometimes people wonder, well, why why is it necessary after an obviously uh, tragic, horrible, disturbing event? for every single politician to go on social media and, and say they, they condemn the actions. Uh, why, is, why is that important? Isn't it stating the obvious? But, but there are, uh, it, it is important to draw lines, and, and especially if there are, if there are uh, people who, who otherwise might interpret uh, a lack of denunciation as, as embracing some of the sentiments that that led to those actions, right? Well, and the reason this is is particularly apropos to this uh, campaign, of course, is because of the trucker convoy uh, in February in Ottawa, where a small but still loud and quite obvious minority among that group uh, is right on with this white replacement theory, so-called, or other racist type of... uh, of political messaging, and um, you know, so where leading conservative candidates for the leadership, including Pierre Polyev, Leslie Lewis, and others, were out uh, embracing these trucker convoys. Now they're trying to back away and say, "Yeah, well, we supported that about the convoy, but we don't support this minority that was within it, which is of this white nationalist movement that is is quite uh, that is growing and is quite active in Canada." So. It's the convoy and the Conservative Party leadership candidate's support of the convoy that has brought this whole issue into that particular campaign. And um, now they're trying to say, well, yeah, I support this, but I don't support that. And uh, But in the minds of a lot of voters, uh, you know, outside the Conservative Party, uh, you know, I don't know if they're all making that distinction about which part of the convoy you supported and maybe you didn't support the white nationalist part. But it was there, and it was there for all to see. All right, let's talk about NATO, Dan. And uh, Sweden and Finland have officially applied for membership, and and the Prime Minister yesterday reiterated Canada's support for that. There seems to be uh, some consensus around the idea of moving quickly. Uh, this this obviously is is part of uh, the. The sequence of events that's going on in in uh, in Europe, uh, in Ukraine, uh, and uh, and part of the strategy to respond to Russia's incursion there. Uh, so, what do you make of all of that? Well, um, you know, for for many decades, Sweden and Finland have been undeclared allies of of NATO. So, uh, you know. They, they have been on that side of the ledger politically for many, many years. It's much more delicate, obviously, especially for the Finns, who have a long and, and quite vulnerable border with the Russians. But, um, you know, I, I think this is something that's long overdue. Um, you know, they, they are natural members of NATO. Um, 
in the that northern sort of uh, flank in which Norway and Denmark uh, and the UK uh, are already uh, prominent members of NATO. So, um, you know, this this is a natural thing, and it's a natural consequence as well of Putin's war in Ukraine, which um, has brought about global revulsion and. Um, so rather than weakening NATO and splitting it, which was, uh, I think, among the war intentions of the Russians in Ukraine, um, the solidarity of NATO has maintained has been maintained at a high level, and in fact has been bolstered by these, you know, significant countries joining NATO. And Mark, you know, Sweden and Finland were uh, neutral countries, but neutral countries are not unarmed. And both of those countries are very capable militaries. They spend money on their military, um, and, and they are they exercise with NATO and are very familiar with the NATO uh, way of doing things. So it's a natural fit, and it's probably going to send a message long-term to Russia that these types of adventures and murderous uh, um, uh, you know, uh, campaigns against their neighboring countries won't work. All right. Finally, Dan, let's talk about the royal visit. Uh, Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall are in Ottawa today. Uh, They will be marking the Queen's Platinum Jubilee with the Prime Minister uh, and uh, participating in some other events. Um, uh, As this royal visit continues, there are people like NDP leader Jagmeet Singh saying there should be a royal apology over residential schools uh, it's it's an interesting time, obviously, for the royal family's relationship with Canada, a relationship that that uh, hasn't been under as much scrutiny as it has in other places like Australia and elsewhere, where the where uh, members of the Commonwealth have broken ties with the royal family. Um, but but there are more questions emerging, especially as the Queen advances in age and and people are starting to to picture a future with Charles as king. Yeah, it is changing. I mean, the Queen's reign has been so long. Uh, Even older folks like me can't remember a time when she wasn't the Queen. And, um, you know, over time, uh, people, I think, grew a lot more fond of Elizabeth as Queen. They're not so sure about Charles. And um, I don't know that they ever will be. And as you alluded to, you know, the royals have been traveling around. Uh, Prince William and Kate uh, were in uh, the Caribbean and, um, you know, they were being they were facing demands for apologies over the slave trade, which happened, you know, hundreds of years ago. And and really, Britain was one of the first to abandon it. But all the same, the historical record is there. Other royals have been treated a little bit less uh, warmly when they visited, and I don't think Canadians are going, oh my goodness, look, Madge, uh, you know, it's Prince Charles. Um, I can't see the crowds turning up en masse the way they might, say, if uh, the Queen herself were to visit again. So, um, yeah, it is definitely a time of change. Um, The Commonwealth sometimes seems like a vestige of of a colonial past that most Canadians don't really identify with anymore. Uh, you know, Canada is a much more diverse country than it was when the Queen came to the throne back in the 50s. And, you know, it is a natural process of change. And while I think a lot of Canadians have deep respect for the Queen herself, um, Charles has a lot to prove in terms of becoming a monarch. And, and we may be looking at the sort of 
the sunset of the British monarchy. Uh, I think they'll still be there as long as you and I are probably around, Mark. But, um, you know, it may be in a much reduced um, status from from what it was in the past. So uh, I'm sure Charles will be greeted warmly, uh, but uh, it's just not the same as it used to be. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. If we can't go out and speak to Canadians in all parts of the country and make sure that we are trustworthy, that we don't scare them. Every time I hear a conservative talk about some conspiracy theory, I realize that eh, there's another group of swing voters in the GTA that just are not going to come our way. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Adam Zevo argues Scott Aitchison is the principled leader the Conservatives deserve, but almost certainly won't get. Zevo writes, Aitchison has emerged as one of the more restrained and principled candidates in the Conservative leadership race. His policy-focused approach to conservatism is a breath of fresh air, as are his consistent appeals for more civility in politics. Canada's current political climate doesn't suit this kind of candidate, and while he may almost be guaranteed to lose, he'll hopefully be able to influence the race by setting an example for other candidates, especially when it comes to decorum. In the conversation, Max Fawcett argues Canadians shouldn't fall for Pierre Poilievre's infomercial sales pitch. Fawcett writes, The cryptocurrency crash is a reminder that financial regulations are more than just red tape, and the people who enforce them aren't gatekeepers, as Pierre Poilievre would say. They're often the ones protecting us from our own worst instincts, and the predators determined to profit from them. It was the absence of gatekeepers that led to catastrophes at the Mount Pauli Mine in British Columbia and Lac Mégantic in Quebec, where Lac's regulations led to tragedies that could have been averted. In both cases, the lesson was clear. Allowing industries to regulate or monitor themselves is a recipe for disaster. At cbcnews.ca, Rebecca Vio argues the 30-year struggle for abortion access in Prince Edward Island shows how hard this fight can be. Vio writes, Despite the shift in public opinion, with the majority of islanders in support of providing abortion services, lawmakers made excuses or skirted the issue at every opportunity. It took 30 years for the provincial law to change. Neither pressure from the federal government nor public opinion could persuade PEI to provide equitable access to abortion. The conversation in Canada now should be about increasing access to abortion and reproductive services rather than questioning if the service should be provided at all. Decriminalization has not led to equitable or even reasonably improved access to abortion in Canada even 30 years after the law was changed. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. He will have a private audience with the Prince of Wales in Ottawa. And the Prime Minister and the Prince of Wales will participate in a discussion on sustainable finance in combating climate change and building a net-zero economy. The Prime Minister and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau will attend a reception hosted by the Governor-General to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will arrive in Bonn, Germany, where she will attend the working dinner of the G7 finance ministers and central bank governors and the minister responsible for Canada economic development for Quebec regions. Pascal Saint-Onge will hold a news conference regarding the Cégep de Sept-Îles in Sept-Îles, Quebec. 
And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, May 18th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.